How much have you got reference to Young Gun? <laughs> At least three or four times a year. This is Sandin Chavez. All right, we're back. We've had a slight break in action because we've been doing some bear hunting and we were getting ready for our spring bear season. Uh, so we've been doing some killing, doing some hunting, wasting a bunch of gas. Um, we're here with Sandin Chavez. Yes, sir. I'm just all excited. I got to kill my first bear. Get Something I look forward to for a long time now. Give us a little background on yourself. I know you guide for other outfitters or another outfitter and... Uh, how long you been guiding? Just give us a little background. Yeah, yes, sir. So, uh, come from northern Utah, um, you know, grew up hunting and kind of fell into this business, you know, found my way in the door. Um, been hunting all my life, come from, you know, long line of hunters and uh, 19 or so um, when I realized you can actually make money um, doing what you love. So I kind of went all in and never look back right on so we have another guest josh rock go ahead and tell us about yourself shrock don't be bashful i grew up in a whole family of hunters um been hunting since i don't know i was pretty young probably five six seven years old was that legal yeah <laughs> what state bro maryland easterners Yep. I'm an Easterner too. <laughs> That's completely foreign to me. I'm jealous of old Sandin over here, born on the right side of the Mississippi. I didn't know it was the right side until I crossed it. Then I scrambled everything I could do for a couple of years to get back here. So what state were you living in for a little bit on the East? Uh, my wife got a job out of college and uh, took us out to Indiana for a couple of years. It was beautiful and uh, you, I realized my heart you know, laid in these uh, mountains. There's something just makes you feel a little, you know, closer to our creator when you're out here looking at all this, you know. You might have liked it a little bit more if you come 400 more miles. And had another 10 years on top of it. So we're all guides here and we keep talking about the hunting and the kill, but our struggles and our daily grind is the same as a guide. Whether you're hunting public land, private land, the guiding aspect, which us three, we make, that's how we make most of our living is off guiding and those struggles are still the same. I don't care where you're hunting or what's going on, you're still dealing with a client. As a guide, you like when you get a hunter, they pay for your knowledge in the woods and those people, you're dealing with their weaknesses, your weaknesses, their strengths, your strengths, it's still the same. You have to come up with a game plan, come up with a strategic idea of how to kill this animal and the process is still the same no matter what ground you're hunting. From top to bottom, I, you know, I've done a lot of public land stuff too. Um, you know, success is success. You, you're putting hard work and hard work to a 20 year old kid that's in shape might be two, three miles and you know, a heavy backpack. 
you know, hard work to, you know, a disabled vet or an older guy might be, you know, bouncing around on a rocky road in a three, 400 yard stock. Um, and the same struggle is the same. That distance is almost equal. I mean, when you're getting a guy through deadfall and river crossings, and they're not used to walking on the terrain that we're used to every day. And I, I, I hear guys that are like, you guys are billy goats. And I honestly think that the reason why that we walk so much better is because we learn to place our feet. We learn what is slippery, what ground is unstable, so we don't make any uneasy steps. Our steps are all fluent. It might take a guy five steps to get through that, and you as a guide, when you've hiked hundreds of, literally thousands of miles in a year, you know exactly where to put your foot. You don't take any wrong steps, and that's a big thing when it comes to hunting mountains. Without a doubt, I think part of the things we have to advantage for us from somebody that's just coming out for the first time or you know, watched some hunting shows or read some forums is we find out what gear works like and as simple as just what you're talking about is terrain slippy things you know how to place your foot um how to walk off pressure is you know down to you know if you're hunting rocky stuff or steep terrain a, a stiff boot um will save your feet and make you safer walking some of the steep country versus a guy coming you know that has a good pair of boots but he's hiking a flat mile to get into his tree stand they so, don't work out here so all you guys with those iris setters <laughs> Leave him at home. <laughs> Leave him on the other side of the Missouri. <laughs> yeah. You'll you need burn some stiff mountain boots. Any, 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 most of the terrain in the West is going to be rocky for one, and it's going to be steep most of the time. That's just that's pretty much how it goes across the board. If you want to find game, because I say it rocky and steep, and that's where you're going to find the animals, because that's where most people don't want to go. And that's where you're going to find those animals, and that's where that gear comes in handy to get into those places that are hard to get into. It just makes it a little more comfortable, a little more accessible. Sandon and I have talked. I've, I've known Sandon for quite some time because of the Harrisburg Sports Show. And a lot about high fence hunting and how strategic and smart the bulls get over being called to when they're trapped and they're not trapped well there i go talking down on the whole deal hey so. you can't hurt my feelings it's you you hear it all in this um it it really goes um both ways but uh you know growing up hunting public land competing you know with every other public land hunter whether you're off the road or you know you've backpacked in and you're bumping into people um it comes with a lot of challenges um to be honest with you I kind of turned my nose up on it too. I couldn't see why any, how that even, you know, appealed to people on why they would want to go um, shoot something like that. And then kind of got my feet in the door and uh, it's, it was an eye-opening experience to the first time, you know, there's a bull in front of you and think, you know, it's a slam dunk. Heck, he can't get out this back ridge and, you know, you're hiking in on him and he's banished. Well, you get back down to the mountain, he's grazing back, you know, the same meadow up on top of the pines and um, to, you know, having a seven-year-old guy that's dreamed of uh, finally killing an elk to two brothers and a father are talking, um, always dreamed of coming out west elk hunting. And, you know, they were never able to do it as a family. And, you know, dad passes and the brothers realize, hey, life travels, you know, pretty quick um, to come out and use dad's rifle and kind of do something together, you know, and have a grown man cry. Um, you kind of forget about where you're at and 
you know, it's the success, not of the kill of the hunt of the hunt. And to be honest with you, you don't know, you know, besides getting in there, you don't, you know, we're fortunate enough to have a big enough piece of property that you don't see. How many acres is it? Borders. Uh, I think there's roughly around 10. Right on. Um, that's, that's a good chunk of ground. It, it is. Yep. Shock. Do you have any input on the high fence, bro? Not what real. did you think about it the first time that when I told you I was like sanding guides and in the high fence? As soon as you hear a high fence, you're like, why, why in the world would anybody have any desire to do that? But after just the last few days, you know, hearing how some of the elk and stuff are, it's kind of changed my perspective a little bit. How much a challenge it can be. The, the elk, the animals are getting that much more pressure than if they're in this wilderness area yeah yeah it's uh an interesting thing where you know you come hunt this public land and it's fair chase man you you might hike several miles you might glass something off the side of the road and if you bump them or other hunters bump them you know on your way in there to kill them they might be two ridges over they might be in the next county or you know they've crossed your you know where your tag's legal for um ours can't get out so for them to put some age on them it gets it gets challenging you know they they're smart so i'm jealous that you get to deal with so many vocal elk we've sat and talked and nerded out on noises that elk have made and i've guided for 18 years and i have never heard any half of the noises that you have heard you know that is uh it's made me very successful and it's you know it gets passed down on the clients on some of these little idiosyncrasies and habits these animals have most people on a you know week-long elk hunt they might see a handful of elk you know a couple hundred yards but they're quick moving through the timber they might glass some up on a ridge they might get a bull you know talking back to them and moving some cows but i'm fortunate enough to get to watch these animals in their habit i don't have to worry about a trespasser coming in and bumping these elk by trespasser i mean another hunter you know yeah bumping these elk um there's no pressure so i get to be polite to them um you know i i can let him mess up yeah let him mess up he's in a rough spot to pack out or he's in a you know a challenging spot for the client that i have to make a clean successful kill so we can make educated um stocks versus you know just there's my one opportunity i'm going to dive in and hope for the best um so yeah, their subtle mannerisms on how they like to bed. You know, they'll walk into somewhere and fall to bed to see if a coyote or a hunter is following them. A mountain lion, they'll kind of relax for a bit and get up and go to some little thicker brush. So what for predators do you guys, is there predators that get inside that high fence? Oh yeah, yes sir. I figured the mountain lions would climb yeah. the fence and I know bears climb fences. Yep, without a doubt. Or, you know, the top of our mountain is dense pine trees. Um, well, actually, most of our mountain in Idaho is just dense pine trees. It looks real similar to what we have here. They'll go from limb to limb. They'll walk over snow bridges, you know, in the winter. So most people, sorry to interrupt yes, you, sir. but when they think about high fence, they're thinking of a whitetail facility where it is not such 10,000 acres. You've got a mountain range fenced in. Yeah, yes, sir. And, you know, we were talking about you kind of turn your nose up to the, the high fence thing. I didn't understand a lot about hunting outside of my state or the states next to me that I'm applying for points. When I start getting into the business a little bit more and uh, it being exposed to different hunting needs and pressures, you know, you got the 
Um, the guys down in Texas, they establish these high fences because there's a lot of, you know, private land. You yes. can let a, you can pass on a buck and let him try to let him mature, but he's going to go a quarter mile or a mile and be on another person's property. And that bucks, you know, fits their needs. So you can't get age class on anything. That's one of the cool tools that we get to have is, wow, that bull is really something by three years old. Let's try to hold off on him. That's you know, let's see what he does in a few years. You don't have to worry about him, you know. So one thing I sell clients on coming to our area here in northwest Montana hunting is we hunt a higher age bracket of elk. And that's kind of what you're telling me. But our age bracket of elk gets there because of rugged terrain and heavy timber. Most guys don't want to put out the effort in our country to get the job done. And that's just plain and simple across the board. And the bulls and the cows, everything is a higher age bracket, I believe, in this area because because of our terrain. Would you, would you agree this is your first time in this country? Yeah. What did you think about it? Um, oh, golly, breathtaking. Every canyon, I, every new ridge or top of the peak, I could have sat and stared at it all day. We were talking on the way. We just went running to the gas station, and we were talking about some of the muley country in this place. <clears throat> That is untapped muley hunting haven. You know, and I think a reason is that is people get humbled by it and they're realistic that they might hike in once kind of, you know, hard and they realize what these animals can do to avoid pressure and why they're living in this pristine area is because they're hard to kill and to kill something that far back, you know, by yourself or with a couple buddies is a chore they might only do once and they'll never walk back in there yeah to hunt some of our rugged canyons to do it two days in a row takes a lot of effort and three four miles in rugged terrain is absolutely strenuous running a lap around your local track and field that that's not very hard or walking down the street three four miles that's not bad you're stepping over blowdown slipping falling climbing up steep grades that's where it grinds on you with without a doubt you can't train hiding over logs, grabbing, pulling yourself up, you know, sliding in a little bit of shell rock, going through a little bit of bog or a creek crossing, you know, and then drying your boots off, hiking for a little bit. Well, you guys build a fire to dry your boots out. Darn right we was we taking trash bags to cross a couple of creeks because of the flow. Yeah, they would go over our gators and uh, we had to have something dry to change into, which was our rain gear. We had about five creeks to cross to get in the back of this drainage where uh, there's a few good bears holding. Yeah, so we have a lot of runoff and we had a heavy snowfall this year. So our runoff has been kind of slowly starting and it's got cold and it's frozen the high country. and it, it snowed three days ago in the high country here. So our runoff has been slowly just drifting off, but it's about to cut loose. And we haven't been able to go into some of our spots because we have to cross creeks in our trucks. And the creeks, we crossed the creek two weeks ago, and it was pushing water over top of my hood of my truck to get to a hunting spot. So we're like tag teaming. One truck goes in and sits to make sure the other truck can make it across the creek crossing. You give them the thumbs up, and they go hunting for the day. That's something I find. That's just that one little step that'll you know, give you that advantage from the average guy. You, anymore to get away from some of this hunting pressure, you have to take that next little educated leap and do your homework. You what gotta, is the other guy not doing? Exactly, you gotta go above and beyond. We were talking about taking canoes and hooking ropes up and anything that it took to get across some of these flows because hunters aren't going into there because they don't want wet feet, period. 
So we're going to hunt areas where guys don't want to go, and that's where the success is at. Without a doubt, I've, you know, you step away from, you know, the beaten path, and it's greener pasture on the other side. It's as rugged as, it, you know, we don't usually see this kind of rugged country until we get seven, eight, nine thousand feet. Um, we're hitting it at 35. Yeah. And that was a saving grace for me because my cardio was there, but I promise you my legs were sore, you know, every day. And I do this, I, you know. So we don't have the, we don't have the high altitude. So we don't have oxygen deficiency. Guys can still hike in our country, but you have the ruggedness, the fatigue on the muscles, but not so much the lungs. For me personally. Oh, I guess for everybody. Yeah. It was, it was a blessing from anybody coming from higher, anybody coming from the East Coast. We get guys coming from the dream hunts where they don't have elk. That's why guys are coming out West. Yep. You know, it's California or, you know, with a hard draw, it's Pennsylvania with a hard draw or the bordering States around there where they see it on TV shows and they're diehard turkey hunters. And to hear something talk to you and you can communicate to hunt, it piques people's interest. So back to these bears, how many bears did you see this week? I thought I'd be able to pick them out pretty quick. My guide would look at the same hillside and be like, there's a bear. Um, first day we went out, uh, kind of getting the lay of the land, found three and it kind of chipped away at like that. We're, there's a lot of daylight here. Um, you're hunting for about 15 hours, you know, by the time a you- A lot of daylight, almost too much. Almost too much, it's, it's challenging on the mental. Um, I think all said and done, we, we cut up probably 16 bears um out of that i would say 12 of those were huntable huntable yeah you you stood a, a you know a chance so we, we josh and i we took mike and we were up to 10 bears in two days so we we seen a we have a lot of bears in our country but you see a lot of bears that are in a distance in our terrain it's almost impossible to stalk these bears within 200 yards because when you get on the same ridge as them they disappear they're gone well, that's one thing I struggle with where at work is, you know, shooting cross Canyon. That's great. That's very doable. Mm -hmm. But when you're on the same side of the hill with them, you know, to close distance to where someone's comfortable within, you know, two, 300 yards, you're blind because the ground is so steep. You're seeing horn tips. So long range rifles have really taken our hunting to a new level. We have been able to hunt our country more successful with a long range rifle. Now we try not to, if, if it's capable, I'm not opposed to taking that thousand with, yard shot. With conditions right, you it, know, a good place for follow-up opportunities. It's not brushy. Um, yeah. Do you mind if I talk about the bear that we missed? Oh, by no means. Right on. No, that so, doesn't hurt my feelings. That, was, that was solid. Great opportunity and Chinese fire drill. Sandon was, he was up for a nice bear. That's what he was after to take his first bear. So we found a nice black bear. The next day we relocated that bear, set up on it, and we had a lot of eyes on target. We're sitting there, the bear disappears. And I'm talking nasty rock ledges, cliffs, 200-foot faces. Yeah, with the waterfall coming in the background into rock slides and a little altar brush patch. If yeah. you can imagine the most rugged terrain that you could think about, this bear was over there feeding. I expect to see a goat before I expect to see a bear. Exactly. So that bear is over there. He disappears. So we're all talking, joking, laughing, cutting up. Yeah, we, uh, we were headed in to uh, find this bear and we kind of relocated him um, down underneath these cliffs, which there's no reason for a bear to be there, but that's why they're there. Um, find the rocks, find the bears. Yeah, yes, sir. Apparently so. I'm, I picked it up towards the end of the week, um, kind of set up on him and he went to some brush, didn't really give us a shot opportunity. So 
It's a matter of time. Uh, it's clearing um, you know, both sides of him and a rock slide underneath him with a cliff face on the back. We kind of got him pinned down, high success rate on this uh, bear to have an opportunity. He can't get out of there. We, we are 100% sure that the bear yeah. cannot make it out of this area. Maybe he can get out of this area without a shot, but he's not going to get out of there without letting eyes on him. Yeah, yes, sir, especially with three four guys you know, with good glass. Um, we had two gear. spotting scopes on him. I mean, yeah. we were yeah, we, we were tearing that place apart with we glass. We set up very comfortable on him. Everything's in place, which it, it takes a lot of moving parts to make these longer shots um, successful. And then Mother Nature uh, humbles all of us. And that's the, one, that's the one thing we can't control with as much experience as we all have put together, bouncing ideas off each other. The fog rolls in and you start, hunting. you start to question, you know, okay, is this the time he slipped out and he's out of sight or is he still in here? Should we have rushed that shot to begin with? What oh. should, yeah, you replay everything in your brain. Yeah. And then we're talking, we're like, when this bear comes out and it's raining as we're, it's, it's it pouring down, it downpour. sometimes, so downpours. Yeah, brushed up and yeah. Yeah. So we're getting in and out of the rain. We're trying to like cover our spot and scopes. We're trying to keep stuff from fogging up and we're putting gear away. And we're still keeping binoculars on target, and all of a sudden, bam. Well, with this, there's five hours in between spotting him, and uh, the time we've seen him, we uh, just posted up on him. Yep. Weighed him out. Yes, sir. Trust the process. And everywhere where he should have came out, uh, he, he didn't. didn't. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Yep. So he uh, come out. Um, guys kept eyes on him. I got the rifle set up, and we got the range and doped it and uh, waited for a good opportunity, started crossing this rock slide and uh, made a little bit of noise, so uh, he knew there was something there. So we get on it, Sandon takes a shot, and I'm watching the vapor trail through the spotting scope and oh. it is dropping perfect. With that fog and the mist and it just- It was amazing, I'm, it was picture perfect, the whole beautiful setup. footage. It would have been, yeah, picture perfect. Which yeah. we did not have any phone cam of it because it happened so fast. I throwed my phone off the spotting scope because it was happening so fast and I dove on it with just my eye and we started calling shots directing into the bear. Yep. Um, the typical speed. Yep, yes sir. And that was the one thing that I, you know, really wanted was I've never had a hunt filmed for myself. I've done filmed a lot of hunts for other people and I said, Hey, if we can get this on film, it'd really mean a lot to me. Um, but don't let it come and you know, and interfere with a successful hunt. And the so, whole time I'm telling him, oh, yeah, don't worry, I'll have it on film. <laughs> well, but you're not going to waste a good opportunity where you've hiked, we were, what, three days in? Yeah. Yeah, you're not going to waste an opportunity to, you know, you would have lost the bear. We'd have so, messed up a shot. So the day before that, we have a spot that has really been producing for us. Um, and it, we had found a giant chocolate bear and a very large black bear. And we kind of, we knew those bears were there. We actually missed the one bear a few weeks ago. So we knew Sandin could get in there and we was banking on killing this big chocolate bear. And we thought maybe we had a Boone and Crockett bear on our hands. Yeah. And after watching that video, you know, a bear pushing seven foot and me never seen one. I've, uh, so the typical guide story, talking a spot up, oh, we're going to kill. We're going to get this. We're, we're going to go through the motions. We're going to find bears, but we have an ace in the hole. So how'd the ace in the hole work? <laughs> exactly how you would expect. <laughs> we played it perfect. You know, to uh, get a little closer, you'd have had to walk the ridge um, and come down on him if we knew where exactly where he was at. So we played it safe. We walked the creek bottom for, gosh, I don't know, probably a little over three miles, just shy of. Um, crossed a bunch of creeks, thick stuff, um, little rock slides, and hiked up to this uh, 
little rocky point so we could, you know, kind of hunt a little more ethically and get eyes on them before we made a big stock. I've taken a lot of clients into yeah. this piece of land. And as you're hiking in that bottom, I've looked back on clients and they're like, dude, we're not going to see anything because you're in the bottom of a nasty, thick canyon. And then all of a sudden she breaks out into some beautiful country. Yeah, you're, you're in a gut. There's no visibility. None. You cannot see out. It is it is black. And you're walking up this creek bottom, and and uh, you take a little deer trail, go up oh what five six hundred yards elevation, yeah. and uh, perfect glassing point, flat to make you know good prone shots, which I'm a big fan of. Yeah, it was money. After drying our boots out and just the excitement of a new place with the potential of a giant bear, you know we're giddy. We're we've done our homework. We've put in the effort. We've got everything we need to, you know, get the bear out and, you know, morning kind of rolls by. All right. Prime time's done. Okay. There's still a chance. Something's going to show him south six, seven hours later. <laughs> nothing. Well, you're, you're, you're pot committed. Now you take the evening hunt. Endure the suck. Yes, sir. Endure it. Um, so we spent 15 hours. Yeah. There goes the dream spot. We all, Zero. All we did is dream. <laughs> I would honestly hike all day be miserable sore the next day, then the mental struggle of the what ifs and the maybes of, did we do this right? Sandon did kill a nice bear today. Um, yep. What, color phase? Yeah, color phase, beautiful color phase. And uh, you know, I'd, I'm kind of an archery guy. And uh, after talking to him, they kind of advised otherwise. And I blew up my shoulder, you know, on the sand dunes having too much fun. <laughs> you, you know, that's, exact, that. <laughs> that's exactly what you need to do when you're prepping yeah. for a dream hunt. We brought out a good rifle. And all said and done, I end up uh, stalking in on a bear and killing him at uh, about 50 yards. Yeah. So all that long range <laughs> and all the stuff before, and then it's 50 oh, yards, which I, is even better. That's what, that's what it's all about. There's no situation I can think of, as long as the animal is behaving, that I would not try to get closer. I don't care if I'm 250. Yep. If I can get 150 to a better spot... <laughs> That's what I want to do. It's all about the stalk, yep. honestly. That's that's the funnest part about it. It's that unknown when the animal disappears and you're covering ground and the whole time your brain is just working like gears. You're like, is it there? Has yeah. it been spooked? Did it move off? And all of a sudden you pop up over a ridge and he's still in the same spot. Yep. That's, that's when you know you uh, did the right thing because you'll always question yourself. It doesn't matter how, many or how much experience you have, how much time you've spent in the woods. You know, you're watching the animals. This worked before, this doesn't. And you do what's right in your gut and what feels, you know, feels good to you. And when it all comes together, there's, there's no better feeling. Bang, you've dead bear. You, you've earned it. Stud bear. There's nothing better than the success of a kill of a hunt, especially after you've grinded for multiple days, suffering. Though our weather has not been good at all this week. We have had rain, fog. It's been nasty. Yeah, we've had about all of it. So Sandon, they were coming out early and I called them and I told them that we had not seen many bears and I was really concerned about the amount of snow that we had about having to travel so far to get into the bears because they were up so high. And we bumped it back a little bit and yeah. the timing worked out great. I mean, this is the most bears we spotted was this week. No kidding. That's just one of those things. You know, booking with you guys, you always pick an outfitter's brain. Hey, you know, when, when would you go on this hunt? You know, when is the best time to get there? I think that's a question you get all the time, especially at these hunting shows, it's, you know, when would you go there? And you want to give the people the honest opportunity, you know, or the, and you tell the them about chance. the year past because yeah. that's the most relevant information yep. that you have. And I want to give you guys credit for that to reach out ahead and to kind of shift dates around to 
to uh, kind of provide them, you know, the best honest opportunity. We're small and we try to do more quality. If I would have had those guys come out, I was really banking on killing some bears with these guys because I knew Sandon was very capable of making anything happen just because of his knowledge in the woods. It was super cool to have a young guide go with an experienced guide and guide him. That, that doesn't get to happen. So Alex got a crash course, and, and uh, anybody that hunts with Alex, I warn him about the Montana red eye. Oh, that's a real deal. I wore it's, my sunglasses for part of the day. It's serious. Yeah. But it's that's why he's so fast. It's that fuel. It keeps Dude. pushing him up the hillside. Yeah, I was far enough behind. I, I couldn't smell his farts, but you could <laughs> sure hear them. My grandpap told me a farting man's the one to hire and a farting horse will never tire. And that, <laughs> that kid that has amazing. got some gas. Holy cow. Uh, I've never yeah. seen any. Honestly. That tank don't run on E. Dude, high energy. He really did a good job. From top to bottom, he cared. You could tell he really wanted it, and he was making all the right choices at the right time. Um, and I got to give him a little bit of credit there too. Is in moments of unsure, you know, or unsure, where you're always questioning yourself when you you have someone's success in your hands. Mm-hmm. Um, and for him to ask me, and knowing that you know my years of doing this, on what would you do in this situation? Or he would tell me a plan, and he says, "How would you work that?" Yeah. And so we'd bounce ideas off each other and with his knowledge of knowing this ground and me having, you know, a little bit more miles on my boots, um, it all come together. And I think that's a big deal is teamwork between the outfitter or the guide and the hunter. So you're telling me that the guide doesn't do all the work? Everybody wants to think, well, the guide's doing all the work. The guide is just there to help, to help along with it. I mean, he's there to know the country, know the animal. It keeps you safe. You know, hey, we shouldn't make that push right now because the way those clouds are rolling. Fog's coming. Yeah. So let's hold back instead of bumping them out of there. There's a lot to be said about that. So now you have a a professional guide being guided by a professional guide. Now you're stacking two skills together. You can go make stuff happen. It just improves your audience. It's more tools. It's it. It's It's just nothing but more tools and a higher success rate um, without a doubt. I I dove in there. It was actually quite nice. you tore off the see-through pants because yeah. you didn't want to see how big it is. You didn't have to brag it up, yeah. and you guys pulled you two together and made it happen. Yeah, and that's yeah, it, makes, it made it so much easier. But it was nice to not have to get your hands bloody and get an animal. <laughs> but we we're also in there, you know, skinning it out together. You know, you, know, you couldn't do I it. I couldn't resist. I stood it back as long as I oh, could. Oh, I know. And I was like, hey, do you mind if I uh, try that, or have you seen this trick? It, it made it go real quick. That's what I was hoping for this experience of you two being together. Honestly been on this is my first guided hunt and this is my first experience you know as it with you guys and he you know tried to cheer you up when you're low tried to you know settle down settle you down when you're excited and you know so uh, it, it was it was a mutual you know you share that experience it's a common goal he wants you to be successful you want to harvest an animal and that's good for everybody most guides are heartbroken if the kill doesn't happen yeah, I've been there. It hurts. It hurts. It's it's it doesn't hurt your ego so much, but you know how much that the client has put into it and you know how much that you put into it. The guide wants that to happen. He wants the success of a kill. Also the success of a the camaraderie, the communication, that all that has to happen. When you have two good hunters together, and you take your experience and you take someone else's experience of the land, like you said, you can make some stuff happen. 
it changes it's, things. Oh, dude, your percentage goes skyrocketed in killing animals. Oh, so, you know, guiding for as long as he's been hunting. Exactly. Um, you know, and, and in this business, you don't grow um, slowly if you're going to make it. You grow fast because you're, you're with guys that do this every day. You take a little piece from everybody along the way. And uh, that was an interesting experience for me. And so I kind of stepped back and imagined myself in his shoes when I was, uh, you know, 20, 21 years old. I've guided quite a few guides and people with wealth of knowledge, they've probably forgot what I know. And you know what? There's some humble people. Um, most of them are very good. They want, they're listening to you because it doesn't matter if they've hunted elk their whole life. They've never hunted elk in your backyard. That's right. Um, and so that was like here, I've never hunted bears. I've never had a tag in Montana. And this kid, he, uh, you know, he grew up right here. His dad grew up right here. So his uncle, they know, they know these woods well and a wealth of knowledge, every question with little trees and drainages. The guy was never turned. I feel like you could have closed his eyes, spun around and dropped him off and he would have got you out there. So felt like I was in good hands. You know, when you have that gut feeling like, Hey, this is what we need to do to make this opportunity. That's what you want to do, but you don't want to step on someone's toes that has experience in these woods on you so you have to trust you know the process or their opinion because they want it they want you to kill almost as bad if not more than you because that's, that's what they're getting paid for and know? that's guides across the country yeah. i mean they most if you have a hardcore guide that guy i spot so my guy wanted a cinnamon bear and this was the last day of the hunt and we were trying to be back to the lodge at 4 30 that way they could get ready to leave for the next day we finally laid eyes on a cinnamon bear. The bear that we had been looking for this whole entire time, we found multiple cinnamon cubs with bears, but we had not found any big mature bears. Finally, we glassed the cinnamon bear. And I talked to Josh and I'm like, do you see the color? And he's like, yeah. And we didn't want to say anything right away because we didn't want to get Mike's hopes up. And then all of a sudden, a black cub appears. And then a, a cinnamon cub appears. And it was like, the biggest kick in the face. I was heartbroken. I was I was probably more saddened than Mike. When we were looking through my phone cam and we're watching this bear and he's like, that's why it's hunting and not killing. And the guy was very thrilled with the hunt. He enjoyed watching the cubs, I think, as much as making a stalk and killing that bear. That's one of the best parts about being a guy, to be honest, or working out in the woods every day is you get to see what very few, you're lucky to see a bear. And then to see, you know, how it interacts, you know, with its kids and moving them around, you know, to the better food sources and teaching them, you know, how to survive. And the one cub was trying to nurse while the sow was walking and she's kicking the guts out of him with her <laughs> yeah. back legs as he flops <laughs> to the ground. Good outdoor fun. I mean, that's put eyes on game and we watched a ton of bears and we watched a lot of bear habitat and it, it honestly, it's super fun. Yeah. It, we didn't kill any, I didn't kill anything. Josh and I, we didn't get to get our fingers bloody at all. No, but you guys had a successful hunt. You have a happy client. Exactly. He got exactly what he wanted. And you guys gave him an honest opportunity, too. He wanted a cinnamon bear. You told him, we have a few, you know, yep. that they run around this ground. And I couldn't tell you how many miles you put on the truck or in the hills to, you know, and show them one. And we had bears at 40 yards. No, that's a gross story because that was my dream bear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I, I had sick. video of it. Yeah. Sand ends with another guide, and there we are. We have a bear 40 yards that he would have loved to have shot and yeah. but that's just how it works it's right mike spot, is right a time. super good dude and when we were talking about this hunt 
he's like, listen, I've been looking for a bear hunt for Mike, and I don't want to take him somewhere that he's going to get fed a lot of BS. And so we kind of catered. I don't want to say cater. What would be a good We had word? the backstory on him. We had the backstory, so we kind of knew what to expect, and I loved hunting with Mike. Josh and me, we had great conversations throughout the week. We had we solved all the world problems three times. The guy was amazing fella. I had one of the best weeks of guiding I ever had just through conversation with the man. This guy's been hunting he has twenty years in in Montana. Without, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's and he's you know, he's he's with, been hunting for more years than all of us. With hunting outfits. So he's heard all the bullshit. He's heard all the guide stories. He's heard all the Oh, you gotta see this, you gotta see that that so that type of man can look through all the yeah. BS that a guide and, shows you. But with that, it almost is a, you know, a relief of pressure because you don't have to worry about someone getting sour because they hiked and didn't see something That's right. you know, that day because he's been around, you know, he's seen the hills that, Hey, you know, the weather came in or heck we were just in the wrong spot today, but you check that off the list and now we need to check the next Canyon. And I would be like, man, we just, spent a ton of time in that country didn't pull up a bear and he's like but look how pretty it was yeah when you guide someone like that that appreciates the landscape and appreciates the effort that you put into it it's a pleasure to guide someone like that i think that's why we do it what a rewarding feeling to exactly to show something you know or show somebody what we love josh you're pretty tight-lipped <laughs> what do you think about the old spot and stock you like turn dogs loose on them don't you I sure do. So Josh and I are, we're third generation hounds people, and spot and stalk is like pulling teeth, honestly, because I know I, I don't care if we can make a shot on that bear. I don't, it doesn't matter. I could take a pack of hounds and I could walk over there and I could have one heck of an experience. You with guys are client. holding back your best tool. It is, and we're not allowed to use that tool in this unit, so we have to travel outside of it, and we just hunt for fun for ourselves, but we can't dog hunt here, so Josh and I were struggling to spot and stalk, and if you dog hunt much, that is fun, and it's hard to spot and stalk. What do you think about it? Yeah, I don't know. I just, <clears throat> I guess I just, I grew up uh, all my life. I hunted with dogs, and and to just go out and in the woods and just try to shoot a bear to me without a dog it just so just, anytime you add sorry to interrupt you but anytime you add more element to a hunt you're adding more moving parts it becomes more difficult to do to hunt this animal so when you bear hunt you either hunt over a bait at a bear factory you go to a spot and stock western or you dog hunt and anytime you hunt with dogs you're adding moving parts so it becomes more difficult but those are the main three ways that you hunt black bears in the lower 48. so i got a question for you josh because i know you're you know a veteran you know you've hunted all over these western states you've had some premium draw tags um, you've had a lot of over-the-counter tags and some stuff that people have low success rate in those are spot and stock hunts you know on a mule deer hunt so what gets you going about a spot and stock mule deer hunt versus a or spot and stock bear hunt? Just because you love the dog so much and you want to use them? He was raised by hounds. I was, I was raised by hounds. Um, so <laughs> you should see how he cleans himself. So I'm my groom grand... demon cut his nails today. <laughs> 
Um, so my granddad started bear hunting. Um, it's been years and years ago when he was probably about my age. My dad and my uncle took it over, and then now me and my brothers are kind of taking over it. And that's just always what we've done, how we've bear hunted. And went out and just, for me, I've seen so many bears in my lifetime that just to go out and shoot. How, what are we talking? I've seen maybe 20. I've seen, I've seen more bears this week than I have in the last 30 years. You tree 40 bears a year. Maybe more than that. Probably more than that a year. I, yeah. Yeah. So I hunt with guys that tree over 150 bears a year with hounds. Those numbers fascinate me. Yep. And that's, that's our background is hound hunting. So to take us and spot and stalk, it's, it's just a struggle. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I struggle with it severely every day. But you, you love spot and stalk for other animals. It's I do. Just because you mm-hmm. enjoy communicating and seeing your training and progression of these dogs along the exactly. way, that almost means more to you to let these dogs work. You're more about the dog than the bear. Yeah, it's, uh, I guess for me, just, it, just to go, just to kill a bear, it's yeah. that I don't have that much desire to do that just yeah. for myself. But to actually go out and interact with the hounds, that's what I'm and there to for. see them work for you yeah. and to produce this. So you're yeah. talking about bear knowledge, so Josh has worked with biologists in Maryland, and go ahead and talk about some of that. So there's... Legally, no hound hunting in Maryland, but with the permit through the DNR, they would call us. So our family would have the only permit legally in Maryland. And it, this permit thing kind of started when there really wasn't much for other hound hunters around. And that started clear back with my granddad. When they have problem bears, they would call us to co- come run their nuisance bears. And in March... Um, a lot of the times they would actually go into these dens like they'd have a bunch of collars on sows and stuff and they would go work these um, bears in the den and just like that if they went to work these bears and the bear run off where they couldn't actually tranquilize them they'd call us for that um, bear get in trouble we've had bears getting people inside people's houses tear things up we've had bears kill livestock it's yeah. it's a fun animal to hunt because they're so unpredictable at what they do they're very predictable in the food sources that they're eating if you want to hunt bears you hunt food you don't hunt bears you hunt the food source and those bears in the spring they're eating glacier lilies in this country they're eating grass and then they're going to go to eat morel mushrooms. And they eat a ton of, a bear is an opportunist. And it is the hardest animal to stalk. And I don't care what anybody calls or comments on any of this. They have no rhyme or reason. If you spot a, an elk or a deer, usually that animal stays on an elevation. And he's walking a game trail. These bears feed in seven different directions in 30 seconds. It blew my mind. It's crazy. I've made five stalks in one day with an archery guy and never been successful in killing there's, one. There's no rhyme or reason it's, to them. You can't predict them, you can't pattern them, and that was different from hunting mule deer or exactly. anything until your last day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's how it works. The last day bears, last day elk, last day muleys, that's... <laughs> when it all comes, when it's right, yeah. it's right. A spring bear hunt, it's nonchalant at our hunting outfit in the spring. We, we had two clients this week. So 
more than likely we don't have more than five clients a week. So it is very, very low key camp. It was really nice because you, you get the attention that you would want with, you know, spending this kind of money to come out on a hunt. It felt personal, you know, and I, there's a lot yep. of pirates in this business that they want a number. Um, they don't care. They still do pirates. attack. Good, good name. That, that's exactly <laughs> what they are. Oi matey. They just, uh, you know, they want their money. They don't care if you return. You know, a lot of them don't last because that is your best advertisement is a happy hunter. Whether he killed or not, as long as you gave him what he needed, you know, already expected out of this hunt and you worked hard, they'll tell their friends about it. They'll, they'll rebook. They might not come every year, but they'll come again. If you go hunting for five days and you work that hard together, most people don't struggle. But if you struggle through something with, a, com with a common goal, it, it's a bonding experience. And, and then, you know, you take something's life to provide food for your family and to put a memory, you know, on your wall. That's something only the two of you will share what happened during that week. That's a fact. So Josh has did a bunch of DIY and he's hunted all solo. over. Solo all by himself and i just learned which made me feel like an inferior hunter that he hasn't been hunting the western states until he was 20. i've been hunting here since i've been seven or eight and he's pretty knowledgeable about this country and the fact that he can put that much together in 10 years is pretty hardcore that's a lot of time in the brush i mean you cannot learn that by watching youtube or podcasts you are boots on the ground yeah you're grinding it you have you have to do that if you want to if you're real serious about learning or uh so say that some of these areas that you did diys say that you could hired an outfitter for that area and you took your knowledge of hunting and all your ability and your gear and your tactics and you hired a guide from that area how much more successful do you think you'd have been a lot more so i went on a moose hunt um last fall in alaska the kind of the start of it would have been i guess i knew a buddy that flew with a pilot and that gave me my first connection Okay, and a moose is something you've, you know, always wanted to pursue. I've, I've, I've always wanted to uh, do that, and I was fortunate to do it. Um, you know, it, it took a lot of research. Um, uh, I guess my buddy was up there in 16, flew with this pilot. Um, he gave me his number. I called the pilot. I called the biologist for that area asked about moose numbers talk to the biologist that's a big thing that i imagine most hunters do not do no and yeah. that's like your first connection that is mike is our biologist here and he is super knowledgeable and you can bounce information off him and he's always open for conversation and that's something that a lot of hunters out there might want to keep in the memory bank I think that's a huge overlooked. It is. Yeah. I, okay. I overlooked it a thousand times. Yeah. And they're always willing to help and share information. That is. That, that's, that's what they're what, there for is yeah, for yes, hunting. Sir. They're there for conservation. They're there for the animal. Unfortunately, it didn't work out there. It had a good, a good time. Why didn't it work out? Tell it how it is. Tell it how it is. Let it rip. Okay. Um, so I've, uh, we flew in with this pilot kind of told him what we was looking for. We wanted to be dropped at an area we could get up high to glass, even if it was really swampy tundra stuff, you couldn't get around really well, we could at least get up high in glass. The first downfall of that was he dropped us in a hole, is what I call it. So he dropped us on a lake. It was 
almost like a hole between two ridges. The lowest elevation possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the best to glass up, yeah. And then you... Glass uh, the lake. You see any trout rise? No, it didn't. <laughs> Did see a few pike. Couldn't get up high to glass. When we when we got in there, uh, after being in there for a couple days, we we moved around, hunted some, and there just was not the moose sign. And the brush was 12 to 15 feet tall. You couldn't see. I tried to climb. Was it wet? Trees. It was very wet. Ugh. You didn't know if you were sinking into your knees or your hips. Did you wear waders? Yes, I did. Oh, hiking in waders, my worst nightmare. <laughs> yep, soggy boot, chafing, sweating. Yep, stinking. Yeah, it was nasty. Anyhow, so we was there for three, three to four days, and it was in the middle of the day. Um, we was out hunting. Oh, once we heard this plane come flying in, and we actually thought he's going to land on the lake there where we was at. And he landed just across the ridge. And here we didn't know this, but there was another camp right across the ridge from another outfitter. And how many days have you been hunting there? Four days. You've been stuck in this little boggy hole. We're stuck. Yeah. We can't move. Yeah. You, you more or less got anything. catfished. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That didn't help anything. And then the next couple of days after that, we was we heard the Argos, them swamp buggies, yep. uh, running around over there. Heard somebody had music on one time. This wasn't helping the situation. And you're supposed <laughs> to be in your dream backcountry, yeah, Alaska, and you're hearing music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's public land, baby. We was in there for seven days, and there was not sign of hardly any moose and. It's like, we're not going to stay in here. It was supposed to be in kind of the deal that we would be able to get moved to a different location for a not much more on the price. Yep. So this I've, is all negotiating through more or less an outfitter. I mean... Well, it is kind of just through a pilot. Okay. We, had, we had hired a pilot to fly Providing a service. I had an in-reach, got a hold of him, and it come down to it, he wanted an almost another full price just to move us which it was supposed to be in the deal that we was get to move for hardly anything we finally just got him to fly us out to the dock and was trying to decide what to do come that he kind of let it out that there was not much for moose in the area a little bit late on the draw <laughs> kind of just just scrapped that yeah so it wasn't worth the extra expense and gamble to go through this guy again just kind of unforeseen it, cost yeah. pirate so we ended up driving north <laughs> a few hours the next day mid-morning was driving down the road just trying to figure out what to do searching on onyx yeah, I had my phone out. So on here's Onyx. a drop to Onyx. All of our guides love Onyx. I use it. I know most of the hunting world is obsessed with it. And it, it helped you on this hunt, correct? Absolutely. It made it happen. Yeah, for sure. Driving down the road, and I see this cow moose stand beside the road. I got looking at Onyx, and it was public ground along the road. I'd done quite a few elk hunts, you know. Yeah. Public ground, go do it yourself. I was like... There's no reason it can't be done like just like this on a moose hunt. So we found a spot, the glass, and we was there that evening. Saw two cows and a bull. Next morning we hiked in there after the bull. He was probably four miles off of the road and didn't get halfways into where that bull was. And I glassed another bull. And he had a small bull and a cow and a calf with him. 
the other two guys, I sent them over on a stalk on him. He got up and moved while they was on their way in and they didn't know where he's at. In the meantime, I was on the ridge across from him and I saw where he went. That evening he got up and walked out in the opening. Bang. End of story. You got almost taken advantage. We were talking about pirates in this company, in this business, and people that just are in it for the money. And that's a lot of the reason why DIY guys are so persistent on doing their deal is because they don't want taken advantage of. It's hard to trust, you know. That it is. Everyone has that war story, yeah. Dude, and it's across this country. It is nonstop. Us as guides, and I'm an, I'm an outfitter, which... My wife's really the boss, but I'm just another guy. It's hard for us to make a living when you hear all these horror stories and then you have to clean up. It puts a bad taste in people. It does. It's going to a restaurant and, you know what I mean? Getting get, food poisoning. And getting bad food and then you don't want to give them money Shit again. Shit your guts out. Yeah, and give them money again. <laughs> so that's one thing, you know, we were talking about this earlier. I get a lot of guys, tried a couple do-it-yourselfers or they've been <sighs> on three or four, five, whatever. You probably got some of mine. <laughs> yeah. Um, Honestly. Yeah. They've been on some hard, tough hunts. Like, oh, you should have been here last week or one guy in camp kills. And so they're five grand into this thing, plus a week off of work and yeah. a plane ticket and time away from the family. They, they might've enjoyed themselves and enjoyed the people there and had some good stories, but they really are after, you know, an elk, an elk. or they want to see what elk. the animal you know, that they're after. That never see one. Or maybe they, you know, they're promised, you know, a solid bull and they, they get a you know a spike or a small raggy, Dude. and that's what converts a lot of people over to try this. Yeah, they, they, I agree. They've put in, they've earned giant with the amount of miles they put in, the hours, the lack of sleep, eating backpack food for days. <sighs> we, we get a lot of guys that we can cater to like that, and they can come have a fun hunt for two, three days. Honestly, you probably guided a couple of my hunters that I've walked the guts out of in this rugged ass yeah. country. Every so whenever you have that much happening and you run all those scenarios, honestly, I'm, I've thought about it a thousand times. And How many broke down cars do you want to buy and put money into and have them still break down? Can only polish a turd so much. Yeah. You know, it kind of started off is, you know, you had a little bit of a dream. You did a little bit of homework, got some connections and you chased it. Kind of got burnt a little bit, but overcome the situation with, you know, your experience um, yeah. hunting. What would you do different if you were going to book that same hunt? I'm not saying I wouldn't fly with another pilot. I probably wouldn't go with the same one. Probably one of the first things I would do is just do do my research. It can be done just the same as an elk hunt. How much more would you have spent with an outfitter? Another 10 grand probably. It would have been that much more to hunt an Alaska moose. At least. Yeah. I, I don't have the money to I don't spend. Have, yeah, I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't either. If he kept hunting, you know, even say the other camp wasn't there, he kept hunting that area. You got yep. two weeks into it, you're unsuccessful. Don't mind me asking how much do you have in that hunt? Just roughly. Just shoot from the hip. Um, anywhere from five fifty-five. Yep. Yeah. So you're talking ten to fifteen hundred to go with an Alaskan moose guide. Yeah. Thousand. Fifth thousand, yes. Because I'd be there tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Fifteen hundred. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, babe. But yeah. I'm going this giving my tip right now to yeah. you to join me in on your hunt. <laughs> but you also have to realize that Josh is a DIY hunter that's put a lot of time and effort into this. For someone that's new coming into hunting, the odds of them going up there in the same scenario and actually tagging a bull moose would have been a lot harder. 
Oh yeah, because he just has a lot of hunting experience. Yeah. And there's so many local guys and just diehards out there yeah. that are doing everything. If not, they're spending just as many days in the woods as um, we are. And that's what kind of sets the average hunter versus the diehard or um, an outfitting business apart is the amount of homework. So we were trying to dig at Josh getting at an outfitter would be more proficient. But when it comes down to money cost, and we're going to be dead honest with you, sometimes it's not money efficient to go with an outfitter. You spend a lot of money to come with us. Yeah. You spend a lot of money to go kill a 500-inch bull with sand. And you spend yeah. you spend that money. You could do a DIY and you could be successful like Josh. Or you could go with an outfitter and spend an extra more money and get a guide like Sandin or a guide like me or a guide like Alex. And they pick that country apart. So you thinking about coming back in the future and trying to do another spot in stock? It might be permanently moving back <laughs> yeah, after seeing some of this country. You know, that's one thing about these mountains. You know, the only reference I got really to it is, you know, the same water that uh, boils an egg um, you know, softens a potato. So it's either that's for you or That's a good analogy. Not. Yeah. That is a good one. Mountain hunting. There's nothing like mountain hunting, dude. I mean, and we have seriously that we have low pressure in our area. How many bear hunters did you see? I seen three, not one in the woods, not one in any canyon we hiked in on any ridge line. There wasn't a dot of orange. Um, there were a couple guys glassing, um, or that rolled by in a pickup truck at the gas station. And, you know, hunting Utah public land, shoot, you know, rifle, you know, you got some stuff dialed in and it looks like a pumpkin patch out there, you know, by the time the sun comes up or the animals you're putting a good stock on someone's, you know, winging a bullet at. Yeah, we have a good time with it. our, uh, you know, our um, public land and lease ground elk hunt is it's a little bit softer country. Um, it's a little bit easier. We don't have the the chance at a big bull. You know, if you shoot a 310 to 330, you've really done something for that year out here. It's a little tougher hunt. Some of these guys want that little more rugged hunt, but there's an opportunity for that next level bull out here. So you saw a big bull this week. Oh, he's going to be somebody, you know, they've just, you know, shed their antlers, but they're after watching elk and seeing them grow, like I get to do for the last 10 years. Plus Sandin gets to kill 550 bulls with clients. Yeah. I'm talking absolute giants bulls that people, they don't even look real. They're so giant. And so you saw one of our bulls in our country that's growing antler with where he's at from roughly when he shed, um, that is a true giant for these neck of the woods. He ought to be pushing just shy of, you know, 380, maybe touch over. If it's a good wet year and doesn't dry up on him, he might finish off a little heavier. Yeah. So I know this bull. <laughs> I know the exact bull you're talking about. I have multiple experiences. And if any hunters are listening to this that I've guided, they know this bull also. And uh, so we get experiences with these bulls. We have the opportunity to kill big ones. But I called 11 bulls in, and we, yeah. I never killed a bull. And it's just a struggle of a guided hunt yeah it and you do everything in your power to put the opportunity in front of them but sometimes you can't you know you can't pull the trigger for them no and it's just how it happens it's hunting scenarios and you can replay it a thousand times and you can do it if 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 my aunt had nuts she'd be my uncle and that's just how i'd like to say it i mean that's how it works you're shooting from the hip not literally spur of the moment thought you have to move it could be the moment of making two steps could be the difference of killing the bull of a lifetime. Yeah. How many of your clients seen 
that bull? I called him in one time last year, and I called him in for seven minutes two years ago. So you've had two guys put eyes on a bull of that caliber. And that, that bull. That, that particular bull. Now, I have a yeah. couple bulls that are that caliber in different canyons. Yeah. But that bull specifically, that area gets hunted quite heavily in archery season. And that bull is super clever. He yeah. He has escaped game. everybody for the last probably five or six years. After he's matured. Yep. You know, yeah, matured, I mean, we've yeah. been chasing him since he's been 340-plus. and yeah. Those bulls change their habits, just like people. They do. You know, when you hit 30, okay, you know, after you hit 40, 45, you start living your life a little different for most people. Exactly, and we have yet to find this bull shed horns. And Alex is nutty, which Die I hard. know you're yeah. nutty about sheds. One of my passions. Josh and I, we wouldn't pack a moose shed out to save our lives. I'd kick it <laughs> over the bank. <laughs> I, I'm just not into it. That shed hunting, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. You guys shed hunt a bunch. And Alex, he goes on and on and on that he likes to find these shed antlers. And he'd almost rather find a shed than kill the bull. And I heard oh. you say that also. Oh. I'm not a shed hunter. I hate it. I well, why? Tell me why you don't like it. Because to me, it's a tool. So I love to go and I love to learn elk habitat. I love to learn where nimbles, where they've been. I love everything that you guys probably like about it. I'm not into packing elk sheds out of the mountain. I'm just not. I'll look at it and be like, yeah, it's great. But that chocolate brown, I like it better when it's attached to a skull plate. I see where you're coming from, <laughs> but that's only that's only once. That's it. You know, once you, it's you, dead, it's dead. You outsmarted that bull. You know you patterned him, or you got dumb lucky. You know whatever happened yep. in your hunt with sheds. I guess what's so fascinating to me is for something to get mature. Um, you know through all the predators, the lions, the winners, the hunters, um, the fighting. You know during the you know mating season. After I've put in the homework, he's outsmarted me on the mountain range. I've relocated him, you know, wherever he's going to win her. You have to step or be with an eyesight of that one moment in time when that animal popped its horns off. And to me, that is a feat, and it is harder and more challenging than to kill a mature animal um, to find that exact animal's horns. And then sometimes you're finding them year after, you know, year after year. It makes you better. You have to hone in. You know, it's just more education about the animal. How do they act when you're not hunting them? How are they acting when they're giving birth, you know, when they're wintering? People are only chasing these animals for two weeks out of the whole year. That's all they yeah. know about them is during that month. That's, it, that's a fact. It'll improve your odds um, the more homework you do. I agree 100%. And then, you know, if you kill the animal, it's dead. There's no more mystery of, oh my gosh, is he getting bigger this year? Did someone kill him during hunting season? So I take that shed hunting and I roll it into my mountain lion hunting and I chase a lion through that premier country where you guys are shed hunting and you're trying to yes, find those where those bulls are wintering. I'm chasing lions in that country and that's that's your that's your homework. Too. That's you're my figuring homework. Out when and how they're exactly. acting at that time. And if you do that, that's how you improve your chances finding these cats. I'm just chasing hounds. I mean, back to Josh, that's, he's all about that. So Josh spends a lot of time with us in the winter, and we chase lions, and we break this country apart, just like a shed hunter does, finding where that bull has been. We chase a lion that's hunting that animal, 
It's just a different way of yeah. gaining knowledge. But you're doing your homework. You're out in exactly. the woods, yeah. putting your miles in. And that's what a lot of people don't see is in this business, that's what makes you stand out is the extra homework that you, it's the stuff that the clients went to bed and you're cleaning and prepping for the next day. Um, it's the unforeseen things that you do to, you know, put the advantage, you know. Getting up in them. the mornings, going in glass, and when no one's here at the camp, burn hours and hours in fuel trying to find animals is, we kind of know where they're at. I think that's one of the big benefits of booking with an outfitter. Exactly. And especially, you know, you have to do your homework and kind of weed through segment. or take, take uh, references. They're doing a lot of homework. They're doing all, you know, they're sous chefing for you and all you gotta do is put it in the frying pan. It's <laughs> That's a great analogy. Yeah, I think that's today, boys. Now, I don't wanna see any naked pictures floating around with you on your bear rug. Well, in your living room. I, I've been warned when I get, I haven't been home for, you know, <laughs> five or six days, so. That's about it. This is us. Over and out.